Hillary Topper, and the name of my book is From Couch Potato to Endurance Athlete, a portrait of a non-athletic triathlete. Hillary J.M. Topper, what's that? That's my middle name and my maiden name. Oh, okay. Hillary, I loved your book. What was it exactly that caused you to get in shape? Was there a eureka moment where you said, you know what, I, I can't do this couch potato thing anymore? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was working 60, 70, 80 hour weeks. I was, was going from cocktail party to cocktail party or, you know, when I came home, I'd have a glass of wine and sit and watch TV. And I just, I was 48 and I was turning 50 soon. And I thought, you know what? I can't do this when I'm 50. I have to change my life. And that's exactly what I did. You almost flunked Jim. <laughs> I understand. I you, you were not athletic as a child. Is that fair to say? <laughs> <laughs> not at all. I would be picked last for every sport. And I don't even know why I would think that I would be picked first because I couldn't catch a ball. Well, you know what, though? In describing your family, athleticism didn't seem to be on their radar really at all. So, <laughs> not at all. So it's it's not surprising that you weren't athletic. Why, why do you think you thought you were able to put it together that you had to move? I mean, I know that's that's out there, that you should be moving and all of that. But if you're not from that kind of family background, why why did you think that that was a good way to go? Yeah, I used to watch the runners on the Wontour Parkway. And to me, they looked so graceful. It just looked like they were having so much fun. I mean, there were a few that didn't look like they were having fun. <laughs> but for the most part, many of them looked like they were having such a blast just feeling free and out there and running and being out in the open, you know, and I thought, wow, I'd like to do that too. So that's really what my motivation was. And I started by running. And then after a couple of a couple of years of running, and I was training with a partner, we trained for the Brooklyn half. And at that point, that was the turning point where she said she looked turned around after we finished, and we both PR'd that race. And she said to me, "I'm done. I don't want to do these anymore." And I looked at her and said, "Why don't we do a triathlon?" I didn't even know what a triathlon was. I just heard the term. I wasn't really <laughs> sure it was swim, bike, run. I thought I knew how to swim, but I really just know, knew how to doggy paddle. That was my swimming experience. As for biking, I grew up in Long Beach, Long Island, and it's flat there. I mean, completely yeah. flat. A lot of learning curve. What made you, in your head, advance from being like a weekend warrior to this competitive thing. I mean, I guess just being into your own head and into your own thing wasn't enough for you? <laughs> well, you know, there's something about these races that are just so much fun. And it's not so much that you're competing against other people. You're competing against yourself. You're yeah. always competing against yourself and you always want to improve yourself no matter how old you are, no matter, you're always competing against yourself. And that was my, you know, my motivation. And then it just became an addiction. It was just like every morning I would wake up at four o'clock in the morning and be ready to do something. There must have been mornings when you thought to yourself, 
boy, it's cold. I, I, I'm going <laughs> to go back under the covers. What kept you from doing that? You were ju- you must have been driven. I was driven. I wow. was driven because I wanted I wanted to prove to myself and to everybody else that I was able to do this. This was something important to me because I was never athletic. Mm. So I wanted to prove that that you could change your life. If you are aren't athletic, you could change and be athletic. You know, if you never learned an instrument in school, you can always start yeah. now. There's no there's no one stopping you. I think that's the difference between you and a lot of other people who they let their fears and their past mm-hmm. hold them back. But you must have had a strong motivation some, somewhere in there. What do you think did drive you? I also had some traumas when I was growing up. But the one thing for me was that people, I always felt like people were pushing me down And that was a motivator for me. So if somebody said to me, oh, you'll never amount to anything. Well, I went and got my, you know, my college degree and then I got my master's and now I teach at Hofstrad. So I needed to constantly prove to everyone, including myself, that I could do this. And that was my motivating factor. And, And I know your mother, I know she passed away and I'm so sorry about that, but she figures in this story, I think, in a big way. She was, she was so nervous. She really didn't want me to do anything athletic. She was so nervous that I was going to get hurt. And she would constantly say to me, don't go out that fast. Don't go, don't go, don't go in the, we grew up in Long Beach. Don't go in the water past your knees, you know, Mm. the ocean's, the ocean's going to capture you and (laughs) take you away. And it was, it was really hard to overcome all of that. And I had to really dig deep. And I think that by doing these endurance activities, it helped me to come to terms with a lot of things that were unresolved, you know, especially after she passed. It's a beautiful thing when you're able to deal with all these emotions uh, physically, <laughs> as well mm-hmm. as in your, in your head, I think. And, and running certainly gave you a lot of time to do that. Absolutely. And swimming. Also. And swimming think, and biking. You know. <laughs> I was interested, though, Hillary, that you stopped running for a short time. Well, I don't know how long. I, I don't remember. Uh, after Hurricane Sandy, that was pretty traumatic mm-hmm. for all of us in yeah. this area. Why do you think you did that when if if you would have kept running, I think it would have helped you, don't you think? I do. I think that it was just also logistically difficult. I mean, Long Beach was pretty destroyed at that point and there was nowhere to run. You know, even the track was flooded. I mean, it was just a total mess. And, you know, at that point we didn't, we couldn't get gas and, you know, food was rationed and it was just a, a very difficult time. And I feel like I was really just trying to, you know, take care of, what I had and salvage what I had in the house and my family and make sure everybody was safe. And that was really my, my whole thing. And yeah, I probably should have run (laughs) somewhere. (laughs) I should have found a park somewhere, but (laughs) yes. (laughs) But you you know, there was probably a a little itch in the back of your head. Like I got to get back to that. And you eventually did. How long did it take you to do that? Was it? take that long it took a few months you know after everything started settling down and we started getting back into our offices and you know that's when I started to say you know what let's let's call up my running partner and said let's let's go let's do this 
You know, let's yeah. sign up for our next adventure. <laughs> How did biking become a, a, a piece of your life? I know my, my husband just recently got a bike and he is so obsessed with it and into yeah. it. And I, as a result, because I want to bike with him, I am too. And it, it is it is addictive. Yeah, once I started to do triathlon, biking was a natural, you know, I yeah. had to really, you know, learn how to clip in and learn how to shift gears and not do a leisurely ride like I had done on the Long Beach Boardwalk where we would go five, seven miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Now I was, you know, riding 14, 15, 16 miles an hour. And I had to learn how to to do all of that. And once I did, that feeling when you are either going downhill or when you're struggling to go uphill or even when you're fighting the wind or when the wind is behind your back, it's just a wonderful feeling. It's just, I just absolutely love it. And I love training on uh, the Tobe uh, Beach, you know, parkway, the uh, ocean parkway. Mm. It's just beautiful there. Then how did you add the swimming part of it? Well, that was the difficult part. I, I you know, they were all difficult. I yeah. <laughs> have to admit they were all difficult well, for me. Mm-hmm. But the swimming for me was that I thought I knew how to swim and I tried swimming one lap, one time across the pool and I could not do it without choking and throwing up. It was just, it was a disaster. (laughs) And I started to, I went to an open water swim, uh, uh, you know, master swim program Mm -hmm. and the guy, the, you know, the head coach, he jumped in with me and he said to me, Hillary, you got to learn how to breathe in the water. And he sat with me and he blew bubbles with me in the water. It was really embarrassing because you're um, 53 years old at that point or 54 or whatever. And I'm blowing bubbles with this grown man and I, you know, and everybody else is like super athletic, but I did it. And the next thing I know, he had suggested that I buy nose plugs because I kept the note, the water kept going up into my sinuses. Oh, oh. It was really bad. So, and that was making me choke. And he said to me, go get yourself nose plugs. Don't even worry about what anybody says. And as it turns out, I still wear nose plugs. And it's funny because there are a lot of adults that wear nose plugs. And somebody had said that to me once. They said, oh, you can wear nose plugs as an adult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that helped. And, and once I started to learn how to breathe, it all clicked. And I, you know, last year I did uh, the Maggie Fisher uh, Memorial Swim, which was from Fire Island to Bayshore. It was supposed to be 5.5 miles. Mm -hmm. Uh, For me, it was around seven miles. My son was the kayaker, but unfortunately, I didn't really realize what he'd have to do. And he had only kayaked in a pond you know, where there's no current. So he got drifted very far off course and the volunteers had to come get us. Yeah. So we we were like a mile and a half course. Well, you don't do things the the regular way, do you, Hillary? No. But that's okay. And how have your kids responded to this? They 
absolutely love it. They're so proud of me. They've been so supportive throughout the whole entire journey. And I think I've also motivated them to get out there and do activities as well. My, my daughter and I, we've run a couple of New York Roadrunner races. My son, we've run a couple of rock and roll marathon races. Nice. You know, mm-hmm. so, yeah, so they definitely inspired by me and and it makes me really feel proud because I I you know I want them to to feel that way I want them to to go out there and do something themselves fantastic fantastic so why did you write the book and is this indicative of how your journey continues from here <laughs> well I wrote the book because I really wanted to help people out there who was, were like me, who who were sitting on the couch, hanging out, watching TV, not really doing very much. And I know so many of those people. I mean, yeah. there, well, many of them are my friends. I mean, I'm very good friends. And they feel like they can't. Oh, I can never do that. But that's not true. You can do it. And I want that message to be heard, that people can do it. You can change your life no matter how old you are, no matter how heavy you are, no matter how skinny you are, no matter what you are. You can change your life if you're not happy. And I'm really happy now that I did that. And it just it totally makes me really happy. And in yeah. terms of my journey, my journey continues. I um, will see what happens in the next few years you know I'm now 60 so uh, I have another good 10 years I'm thinking to do triathlons and (laughs) I'm hoping to do yeah some good stuff so I'm excited about the future. I just interviewed uh, earlier this week uh, a doctor who wrote the Great Age Reboot and he believes that in the next 10, 20 years that people will, that the medical science will advance so much that it'll be commonplace for people to live to 110 to 120 and even beyond that by 2050. And wow. um, that our whole lives are going to have to readjust because we'll have to probably work longer in order to, you know, uh, finance our old age, but that, that uh, being older is is going to be commonplace. So you may be competing at for the next 30 years. <laughs> oh, that would be wonderful. Yeah. I actually know people. I know a man who is in my triathlon group. He is 78 years old and he just kicks butt. He's just amazing. He does Ironman events constantly. And to me, people like that just totally inspire me. I have another woman in my group who is 75 and she wow. did her first marathon, you know, and people like that. It just, it just makes me feel like I can keep going. And if I love what I do and, you know, it just makes me happy, I'm going to keep, keep doing it. Well, and not only that, it, it keeps us all from being lonely, doesn't it? And even mm-hmm. if you're, you're, even though you're doing it by yourself, um, there's a group around you and it just makes you feel, I don't know, more of the human race <laughs> yes, in some absolutely. ways. There's, there's um, an amazing triathlon community in the New York tri-state area. And everyone is so supportive of each other. We all speak the same language. And yeah. it's just, you know, you could you could go and, and if you see somebody with a Garmin watch, you know right away mm-hmm. <laughs> that they're a triathlete. Yeah. You could start a conversation with them. That's fantastic. Anything else you want to add? You've been a great interview. 
Oh, thank you so much. No, just, you know, I guess that um, if anybody wants to get the book, they could buy it on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. It's also in most of the bookstores. And if they don't have it, just ask for it from Couch Potato to Endurance Athlete. Fantastic. (laughs) 